Let's bow together for just a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, we've come here today primarily to hear a word from you. We've heard it through the song that was just sung. We've heard it through the music we sang and the music the chorale sang. Keep speaking to us and give us ears to hear. Sensitize our spirits to your presence. We ask in your name and for your sake. Amen. Well, this has been a week of stress and uh, uncertainty and fear. And I think it is the uncertainty of events that makes us afraid and creates stress. Everybody's feeling it in one degree or another. You can feel it in our culture. You can feel it when you go shopping or go out to eat or even to a ball game. Underneath all that's taking place on the obvious surface, there is down beneath a kind of throbbing of what's happening in our world and what's happening to us. Uh, Martha and I were in HEB last night to pick up a few things. We were going through the... Uh, the uh, express line and there was a fella in front of us had four or five things that he was getting and we had a couple of three things and you know how you put it on that conveyor belt and uh, you can't help but notice what the people in front of you have on the, the what they're buying well this this man had a six pack of slim facts and right beside it, he had the biggest container of ice cream that you can <laughs> that you can buy. And beside that, a container having frozen fudge. And I watched him, and he walked out, and I thought, "That's my kind of man. I am with him. I mean, he's taking something for his health." And he's taking something that he wants and something that he needs, and uh, he's dealing with stress, <laughs> as we're all dealing with stress. Uh, the citizens of London dealt with a lot of stress during World War II, during the incessant bombing that was taking place by the Germans night after night after night. One night alone, some 12 or 1,500 airplanes flew over London and dropped uh, 4,400,000 pounds of bombs. And in those days, that was a lot of power. After the war was over, they did some studies on people who dealt with stress following the, uh, the bombing in London. They tested people who were living in London at the time and were there through all of the times of uh, the bombing. They also tested the people who lived in the suburbs. And to their amazement, the people who lived in the suburbs had more stress-related problems following the war than did the people in Berlin. And the reason was because of the uncertainty of it. They didn't know when it might hit them. In, Ber in, in London, 
they knew when it was going to hit them, night after night after night. And I will never forget, as some of you will remember and others of you, I believe, will have read, Churchill, one of the greatest men of all time, certainly one of the greatest men of the 20th century. The incomparable voice of Winston Churchill called the citizens of London to do one thing. He said, go to the rooftops. And do you remember those people in those little helmets standing on the top of the roof? The fire watch and wherever a bomb would hit, they would be the first to recognize it and send a message out and the fire trucks would come and in that way help preserve the city of London. Go to the rooftops, certainly somewhere appropriately in bunkers and in uh, basements protecting women and children. But they were able to win the Battle of Britain because they went to the rooftops. They faced their danger. They faced it with courage. And we must do the same. We must not cower in the dungeons of fear. We must go to the rooftops and give the sound of the trumpet for our cause is just. And we have God guiding and directing and leading us. God has a way of speaking through storms. God has a way of speaking through fire and smoke, times of fear and uncertainty and trouble. 19th chapter of the book of Exodus. God said to Moses, meet me on the top of Mount Sinai. And when he said that, suddenly Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai was engulfed with flames and with fire and with smoke and with lightning. And the children of Israel, millions in number along the plain, looked up to see that mountain of flame, and God asked Moses to meet him on the mountaintop. And Moses, this lone servant of God, walked up into the storm, into the fire, into the smoke, and God gave him a word. God gave him a word and said, take this word to my people. And Moses descended from the smoke-covered mountain down to the valley and gave the people the word. Ten words. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Ten words. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. God's pattern for civilized living. God gave him the word. And he gave the word to the people out of a storm. God is speaking to us out of the storm. The response in prayer across America is one indication of our sensitivity to needing to hear God in the midst of all the smoke and the fire of the Twin Towers. Jesus did the same Turn to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, the 28th verse, page 1026 in the Bible in the book, in the book rack in front of you. 
I'll read you the account that took place just a few days before Jesus' crucifixion. I'm reading from the ninth chapter of Luke. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds a parenthesis. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. America, listen to him. The past week and a half, we have been petitioning God, properly so. We've come together all across the nation, and for that matter, all across much of the world, petitioning God for his intercession, for his presence, for his guidance. That's appropriate, and we need to keep doing that. But there also comes the time when we need to hear him. We've been doing the talking. It's time for us to listen. This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Now listen to him. Listen to him. I doubt if there is anyone in this room who has not heard about Jesus and heard a sermon or sermons or hundreds or thousands of sermons. But I pray that in a very special way today that I and you and each one of us will hear this man. Listen to him. Listen to him. What is he saying to us? He does not leave us in the darkness. He speaks to us in the darkness and out of the darkness. But he has a word of light for us and a word of life for us. And he makes it crystal clear a few chapters later in the same book, the book of Luke, 14th chapter, page 1034, Jesus tells us what we are to hear and what we are to do. 
I read, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that's strange language, isn't it? Strange because it's not translated very accurately. The word hate is unfortunately used for when they translated the Bible into English many years ago, the word hate had a different connotation than it does today. Go back to the language Jesus was using, and the word that he spoke was not a word advocating that we hate mother and father, brother and sister, wife and children, ourselves. That's a very contradiction of the word that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. We're to respect, we're to revere, we're to respect our mother and father, our parents, to honor them. He gave the word. But here he is saying we're to hate mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and our own life also. What is he saying? He is giving us a word of comparison here. What he is saying is this. He is saying you're to have a proper love for mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters and for your own life. But the love you have for me and the devotion you have to me and the service you render to me is to supersede all other allegiances. We're to have no other God before us but him. He is to be the first priority in all of our lives. You know, priority is a singular. It doesn't come in a plural. Priorities don't exist. You can't have priorities. You have a priority. And beneath that, you have some subtitles emanating from the number one priority. And that's what he is saying here. You have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make about our priority. Jesus is saying that we're to put him above every other love, every other allegiance, every other person. A choice to make. America has a choice to make. And we're praying for our president, for the leaders of our land, and for the spiritual leaders of our land, and for you, for each of us. We are praying what decision and what direction America must go to be in the will of God and the fulfillment of his purpose. Teddy Roosevelt wrote some immortal words that you have heard. I share them with you. Far better is it to dare mighty things, win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. God give us men. God give us strong women. God give us strong families. God give us the choice of putting Jesus Christ first in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our work. Jesus came into this world to deal with three viruses that God did not 
create in the beginning. When God finished creating, he said, it is good. It is good. Well, what happened? Three things occurred. Three things occurred that are, that are with us today. Three viruses injected into the bloodstream of mankind. Three viruses affecting all of our lives. And they were not created by God. They were created by man's disobedience. Man's rejection of God as his priority. It's in our nature and it's in our choosing. And the three viruses are sin and suffering and death. Sin, suffering, and death. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came as the living Word of God to deal with all three of those viruses. He became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may, might be made right with God. He came to take our place, to take your sin and mine. He has come to take our suffering, the consequences of our sin, and to be with us in all of the darkest moments of our lives. In those times when we're suffering mental anguish, or a broken heart, or shattered dreams, or fragile health, he has come and experienced all of those feelings with us and for us, and it is in him and through him that we become, through our own problems, more than conquerors. And he has come, as the Bible says, to swallow up death in victory. The final virus. He has come, the living one, come to swallow up death in victory. And Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, you be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You have a choice to make today. Individually, you have a choice. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I urge you to do it today for your sake. And the uncertainty of the world ought to be a sermon within itself. If you have never said yes to him, never put your faith and trust in him, I plead with you, I plead for you, I urge you, with all of the fiber and energy of my soul, I plead with you to give your heart to him for your sake and for his sake. Put him first in your heart and in your life. You cannot be neutral about Jesus. There's no way you and I can be neutral about him. We have to do something with him. We either reject him or we accept him. Someone says, no, but I'm kind of neutral. You cannot be neutral. Neutrality is a vicious, insidious, pernicious form of opposition. Suppose your neighbor's house catches on fire in the middle of the night and you happen to awaken and see the flames, knowing that he and his family are in that house sound asleep. What are you going to do? Well, it's not my house. I didn't start the fire. I'm not going to go over there and throw gasoline on it. He's in there. You know, I'm just going to be neutral about this thing. Well, your neighbor's house can burn down. 
and he and his family can be lost. Neutrality is not an option when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to him. He that is not with me, he said, is against me. He doesn't give us a third alternative. Martha and I, as most, most of you know, were both uh, made our decision for Christ to accept him as our Lord and baptized by Dr. George W. Truitt who was for 47 years pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, and we both grew up under his ministry until the day he went to be with the Lord. And uh, he's still a vital part of an influence upon our lives. And Martha, to this day, says that it was that statement that Dr. Truett repeatedly made that God used to bring her to a personal faith in Jesus Christ. He that is not with me is against me, said Jesus, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. We're either for him or against him. We're either helping or hurting. There is no neutrality. We have a choice to make, and that's his word. Listen to him. Forget Buckner and his voice. Listen to him and his voice. Have a choice to make. And then he says, we have a cross to carry. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by that? We cannot carry his cross, of course. He carried his own. It was the cross of salvation for the whole world. What is the cross he is talking about us carrying? Is he talking about us having, uh, inflicting upon ourselves some sort of physical disability, uh, some sort of self-flagellation? Is this what he's telling us to do? No. What he's saying here, the cross that he's talking about is I marked out. I marked out. Christ first. I second. Christ first. Someone has said, it is I bent into a sea. Cross Christ. We have a cross to carry. That means service. That means putting others first. That means being a minister of reconciliation to people. Embodying in our lives the grace and the love and the peace of God. A peace that passes all understanding. That cross conquers the three viruses in your heart and mind, his cross. And we are to be his ministers. We are to be his ambassadors. We are to be his representatives. Have a choice to make. Listen to him. He says, you have a cross to carry. Bend your will to my will. And then you have the cost. And he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? He goes on to tell this. And then he concludes in this 33rd verse in saying, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Again, that's a 
This mysterious statement coming from the lips of this man. Anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You know, he's really saying the same thing in three different ways. He's really saying the same thing in three different ways. Does he mean that we are to take the, the pledge of poverty and uh, we're to give away everything we own, we're to just throw it all away, and we're not to have anything? Is that what he's saying? Well, it sort of sounds that way. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Well, what he is saying there is, he is saying that if we are to put him first, everything else becomes secondary. Because everything else is going to pass away. Eventually, inevitably, it is all going to pass away. And it is only what's done for Christ that will last. And it is only his kingdom that will last. It is only his church, his people, who will be with uh, him and with one another forever and ever. All the nations of the world will pass away. And he will be king of kings and Lord of Lords. What he's saying here is that we're to put him first in all of our personal relationships. Now I want to make a statement that will surprise some of you. God does not want your money. The members of the stewardship committee just fainted. They just <laughs> and a few deacons just had a catatonic stroke. Jesus does not want your money. He doesn't need your money. It was all of his to begin with. He just loaned it to us. And he can foreclose on any of us anytime he wants to. I, why, why does he need money? How, why can we give him something he already has, all of? Well, I'll give him, I'll give him my, uh, I'll give him my time. He doesn't need time. He doesn't wear a wristwatch. He's not a creature of time. He's from before and after. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Can't give him time. Well, I can give him talents. I can give him my talents. Well, no. How, how can we add to the talent of God? I mean, what can we do that God himself could not do? Say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good public speaker, someone says. Well, that's marvelous. That's wonderful, and I commend you. But you know, no one ever spake as this man spoke. And he spoke worlds into existence. He reached down and picked up a lump of clay, and he spoke a word, and it became a living soul. He spoke a word, and the... Stars dripped from his fingertips. Talent. No one has talent like that. Well, then what can I give him? Will you give him the one thing that he doesn't have unless you choose to do it? And that is, give him yourself. And when you put him first, he'll not just have one-tenth of your money. He'll control 100% of it, ten-tenths of it. Oh, yes, you'll put a certain amount of it into the work of the Lord, but he's the chairman of the board. He'll dictate how you spend the rest of it. 
Yes, you'll have talents. You'll use them to praise Him and to bring honor to Him and to glory to Him. And you'll use time to help minister to other people in His name. Yes, you'll do that. Why will you do it? Because you have put Him first. And that's what He wants. Once He has you and He has me, then He has everything we are and everything we own and everything we will do. Could God have made us so there would be no sin, no violence? Could God have created us without the capacity to sin? Yes. He could have. He could have by doing one thing, and that is taking away our freedom of choice. We are created in his image, and that means we are created in his spiritual image, which means we have the capacity to choose. He does not want a love that is coerced. He wants love that is a choice. And so that's the choice you and I have today. Cost. When I was in the Marine Corps, we were stationed at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, Jacksonville, North Carolina, and we had an extra long uh, liberty with an extra day, and five or six of us got on a train and went to New York, and uh, we... We didn't even get a hotel. We stayed all day, the day, day there, and we're up all night and all the next day, and then we took the train uh, back to Camp Lejeune. And uh, we're all for the first time. You know, we've never been out of Texas, most of us. And here we were suddenly in the, in the Big Apple, and we were going around like all the other servicemen who had the chance to go there on liberty or leave. And I remember an event, we were riding in a taxi cab, I can't remember where we were going, but I remember vividly on the back of that taxi cab driver's seat was a place for an advertisement. And within that little plexiglass advertisement pouch on the back of the seat were these words, everyone is for peace until it begins to cost something. Everybody is for freedom until it begins to cost something. Everybody wants to go to heaven until it begins to cost something. Well, Jesus paid it all. He paid the way for us to spend an eternity with him forever and ever. And so I urge you today to listen to the final words from Jesus' sermon in the, ninth, in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, 
hear the man. This is my son. Listen to him. And he says to you and to me, listen. Listen. And if you hear, come. Lord, may your spirit motivate. May the loving presence of your power draw us to you by our own choice to come to you, the great physician, to cure us of the virus of sin and suffering and death, and to give us eternal life beginning now and throughout the endless ages yet unborn. So, dear Lord, this is your invitation. May every one of us recognize that. It is your word that we are hearing. Give us ears to hear for our sake and for your sake. Amen. I'll be here to greet you. You come. Let's stand and sing.